Well, welcome back, everybody, to another fabulous episode of the Places Will Go show, and yet another amazing guest on today, um, and Jeremy Gilly, MBE. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here, Mark and Richie. Yeah, so thanks for asking me. Pleasure. Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, I'm I'm super chuffed to have you on, um, because well, what a, a global trailblazer and pioneer that you are. I'm going to flatter you a little bit now, so just so you know. Sit back and let that happen. But for people who don't know what Jeremy does, well, uh, quite straightforwardly, Jeremy's founder of Peace One Day, uh, which I think he founded maybe 20, 25 or about 25 years ago. Um, and Peace One Day, for those who don't know, is uh, the adoption of the day, 21st of September, um, to make a major push towards driving peace around the globe, a global ceasefire day, a day of global unity. Uh, and the key thought is that... Um, Everyone obviously very tuned into the notion of sustainability, but sustainability is nothing if, it, if we don't have peace in the world. Uh, and for those who follow the show very avidly, this um, this one's going to be a little bit like James Brett in terms of how he's created a, a global movement. Um, so watch out for, for what we hear from Jeremy. I'm going to say that Jeremy is an activist, uh, an entrepreneur, but also a marketer and very much a dreamer, but a dreamer who turns dreams into reality. Just a couple of the snippets of some of the things that Peace One Day has achieved. Millions of people tuning in. Uh, just some of the, some of the accolades. Uh, in 2007, 4.5 million children were immunized against against polio in Afghanistan uh, due to Peace Day agreements. Um, worked with many global companies. In 2016, it was estimated 2.2 billion people were exposed to the Peace One Day uh, message over the course of the year. Uh, thousands of articles written on Peace One Day, read by billions of people, uh, and then also a little bit of agility around COVID, uh, moving towards a live global digital experience um, with hours of dynamic content and discussions and so on, and also music celebrations in, involving Elton John. I could go on, um, but actually I'm going to stop there. Uh, just to add that the MB was quite recent, uh, so December 2022, well-deserved, and you could say about time. So with that, I'll uh, hand over to you, Richie, to get us started. But fabulous to have you with us, Jeremy. Thank you, Mark. Well, a lovely intro. That was very kind of you to say such lovely things. <laughs> Cheers, Jeremy, what, a, what an absolute, absolute pleasure here. Um, tell us, how are you doing? Where are you and how are you doing? I'm in my editing room. Um, we have a studio here at Peace Friday, two studios. We have a sort of an anchor studio and then a main studio. I'm actually in the editing room in here where we have uh, three editing systems. Um, and then next door, we have a very sophisticated engineering room with the latest hardware and, and software that we use in terms of being able to digitally broadcast around the world. We have very fast up and down speeds. You know, we, we are geared up to put as much constructive narrative into the world that informs, inspires and engages people towards action that we can measure because humanity is at an absolute crisis point and it is very serious. We all know it. And uh, so, you know, as a person who's been on the road 25 years, you know, trying to, you know, um, you know, raise awareness of firstly a day of peace, but now many other issues, you know, uh, I, 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 I have realized that storytelling, what you and Matt do on a weekly basis, and congratulations firstly to all of the incredible work that you do, I think it's 137 episodes or more. I mean, but however many it is, it's mind blowing what you do. And thank you for doing that because I, I, I feel the same way as you both feel and of course your engineering team behind the scenes and that is that uh, putting constructive narrative into the world at this point is fundamentally important to our survival 
if we don't inform, inspire, and engage people towards action, we are in serious trouble. I mean, you know, so that's, that's, I'm living that every day. You know, how can I put a message out into the world that might make somebody go, right, you know what? I'm going to go for it. I'm going to make my contribution to, to the situation that we face. Cause unless we do that, I think, uh, uh, we, we've got a very problematic uh, scenario coming our way fast as if it wasn't bad enough. Mm. So um, firstly, a bit of pressure on Richie and I, uh, given that you're probably a past master at all things in terms of content production. But anyway, um, more seriously, for those people who are listening rather than watching, I mean, the energy that comes from Jeremy is just <laughs> incredible, in fact. Um, and you've been doing it for 25 years, so there's a burning desire in you. So let, let's hear about where did it all come from? Yeah, so basically, yeah, listen, my my uh, my my early days were a little bit troubled, uh, and it wasn't very pleasant at times, and it was quite frightening. Right? Um, it was also incredible. Uh, beautiful parents, you know, I love my mum and dad dearly. I speak to them daily. Thank God, I'm so pleased they're still alive and healthy. But uh, I was also, you know, very small, uh, medically small. Uh, I'm deaf in one ear. I'm terribly dyslexic. I went to a special needs school. Uh, so I was a bit of a mess, uh, to say the least. Uh, but you know, I was, you know, I was doing what I was doing and, and I managed to escape, uh, from, uh, all of that because there was, uh, a call to action by a film person called Mickey DeLenz, who was one of the monkeys. And he wanted to make this show called Bugsy Malone in the West End. And uh, I queued up with thousands of other kids this before the X Factor days, but very similar to that kind of vibe, really. There was thousands of us all queued up outside Olympia. Um, and uh, I ended up getting the lead role of Bugsy Miller. Uh, and I was just a normal kid with no training or anything. Suddenly I found myself this kind of guy called Bugsy Malone who was trying to create peace between Dandy Dan and Fat Sam. I was in Her Majesty's Theatre playing the lead role and I'd escaped from the south of England. You know, and life changed. And I started to grow, would you believe? My hearing didn't come back and the dyslexia didn't go. But I started to grow, you know, because of the freedom of it or whatever. I don't know what happened. But, uh, you know, and I never looked back. You know, I became a dancer. I was with the Royal Shakespeare Company for three and a half years. I was doing television programs, all sort of B-rolls, making my own stuff. It was all fairly kind of meaningless, really. But it was fun. And I was having a laugh. And I met some beautiful people who are now sort of ambassadors like Mark Rylance and Jude Law and Sean Pertwee. And, you know, amazing friends that I met from the Royal Shakespeare Company days. But that set me up, right? I mean, when I became 20, uh, 28 and I wanted to desperately make a film about peace because I wanted to understand why humans behave the way they do in the home, school, community, place of work. When I watched the news, I was like, man, what is going on, man? Are we fundamentally evil? Is the destruction of the world inevitable? Should I have children? Is that a responsible thing to do? I mean, what is going on in this world, man? Why do we behave the way that we do? i got to somehow make sense of that because I need someone to help me, Yeah. So I thought I'd go on the, I thought I'd travel the world and, and ask people about, you know, peace. And then as I was doing that, because I knew a little bit about structure, I thought, you know what? Now, uh, you know, a film, which is just a series of sound bites, which helps me make sense of humanity's behavior is interesting, but there's no mountain to climb. I was thought, where is the starting point for peace? A film about peace. And then as soon as I had that phrase, I, that was it. I was like, shit, there's no starting point for a moment of global unity, for a moment of intercultural cooperation, from the moment that the world could stand as one, united, separate from politics and religion. And out of that unity comes strength and hope and a kind of, you know, a feeling that we can do this together as one. You know what I mean? Beautiful. 
And I thought, that's it. I'm going to try. I'm going to try and create that down. I'm bound to fail. But if I fail, I can make that profound statement about peace that I wanted to, because failing is everything, really, in the end. It's not about getting to the top of the mountain. It's actually about the collapse. That's when it's interesting, not the top. So, you know, I thought, that's it. I'm going to make that movie and, and, and I never look back. Created their piece. We made that film for Storyville's BBC. John Batsik, who won the Oscar for One Day in September. I then decided to make another film to see if I could get the Taliban to agree not to kill, to prove to the cynic that every mountain's climbable, which we did. And then, of course, after that, it was like, how do I, how do I institutionalize it? How do I institutionalize this day? How do I get it to three billion people? And that's when I started with working with very large corporations, you know, spreading the word. And and that's really that's it. Wow. Jeremy. So I'm looking at Richie's face. Uh, I knew a lot of this story. So even so, it's like it hits it's you. incredible. Gosh, I mean, I'm 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 stunned, stunned for silence. It's 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 absolutely just action packed, um, and and so pure in its form of where how you describe it. Um, you know, the two things that really just struck me in my mind at that mo- as as you were speaking and, and building this narrative. Of course, the framing around the collapses, everything. Wow, I mean, I, I'm going to explore that. I'm going, I'm coming to it. Um, but the other thing that really struck me was that embryonic moment when you got the part within Bugsy Malone, because it feels like, God, one in a million. Like your life trajectory changed on the back of standing that mega queue, right? And all of a sudden, something took you in, along the way, and you and you got that. How do you reconcile that in your mind? I don't know. You're right. You know, it, you're so right. I mean, it was a fucking one in a million. Excuse me for swearing. I'm sorry. I shouldn't swear. Okay. No, no, it's okay. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but um, my vocabulary is not the best. I've read anything, you know? So, um, uh, yeah, I make sense of that moment. I mean, it was, it was just amazing. And uh, it was a one in a million. And I, you believe in destiny? I, I mean, funnily enough, the moment you said that, it made me think of a woman called the Brahma Kumaris. There's a movement called the Brahma Kumaris, which is an Indian movement. They're sort of spiritual advisors to the UN. And Daddy Jenki, who was running it at the time, just when I started, because I wanted to speak to spiritual people, to heads of corporations, to the heads of the UN, to governments, to, to everyone, right? I knew that I had to build a case for the world that made that made this, set, this day make sense. I mean, how could I persuade every country in the world to vote for this idea. The only way to do that was to build a case where they could look at it and say, yeah, that day makes sense. I can see all of the benefits for it. So I needed to speak to everyone, all sectors of society. And one of those early conversations with a woman called Daddy Jenki, and she said to me, I was talking to her, she's a very spiritual kind of yogi master, incredible woman. Here I was in my naivety, sort of selling to her as if I thought she'd give me a few quid for the journey, you know? She looked at me for about two minutes, not saying anything. She didn't say a word. And then she said to me, she said, Jeremy, listen, it's already happened. All you have to do is breathe. And it's the, those words, I've never left me. I'm not a spiritual person particularly. I, I believe in, in whatever people want to believe in. I respect what people want to believe in. I, and I, but I have never forgotten those words. So I think that how do you make sense of any moment that happens to us in our lives, the, the people that we meet, the relationships that we have, what happens to our families, you know, why we're rich, why we're poor, why people are nasty. I mean, it's all just part of the rich tapestry, you know, of life that leads you on a journey to, for you to be and become, you know, what it is you're going to become, you know what I mean? And I think that you've got to, 
you've got to take those wonderful moments and then those really dark moments and, and, and absorb it all and see what there is to learn from every, every turn. And in fact, the dark moments are definitely the moments where I for sure have learned most about myself, where I for sure draw on that energy uh, of, of that space where I had to search and find the light. You know what I mean? Like, that's interesting to me. Jeremy, can I just can I just pick up on one thing when she says it's already happened? How do you reconcile that? What what does that mean in in the way she was interpreting it? Well, she she was she was clearly talking about destiny, as you said, right? That's the word you used. She was clearly thinking along those lines, wasn't she? I mean, in terms of what she thinks, I'm sure. I mean, I you know, and and but I I do trust, you know, when it gets very dark, you know, I do trust that there is something there for me, that the fall is meant to be. It is the moment where I, I step back and I reflect and I say, well, what what did I do wrong? And what can I learn? And what equipment am I gonna take with me in, in relation to rope to climb that mountain to see that view? The, you know, the, 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 the view is kind of interesting, but it is a, only a moment. The climb is everything. And if I don't enjoy each grip, then my life is going to be a short moment of pleasantness when I take that picture at the top. And that's not, that's no, that's no way to live, man. Mm. So, I mean, the, the passion is incredible. Um, collapse and failure is when it gets interesting. Um, it's in the dark moments, I find the light. I was just, I just was sent this thing yesterday. I'm just going to read out briefly. It'll only take a minute. Uh, there's a, a lawyer, Julie Williams, who was born blind and she writes on the paradoxes of life. I do not have the answer to the question of why, at least not now and not in this life, but I do know that there is incredible value in pain and suffering. If you allow yourself to experience it, to cry, to feel sorrow and grief, to hurt, walk through the fire and you will emerge on the other end, wholer and whole and stronger. I promise you, you will ultimately find truth and beauty and wisdom and peace. Um, just came to mind, so I had to, had to do that. So, so Jeremy, for you, tell, tell us the dark moments and how you found the light. Oh man, my darkest moments, I couldn't tell. I mean, uh, I, you know, I just, it would be inappropriate for me to say, but I'm telling you, mate, I know what darkness is. Yeah. I know it. I know it. And yeah, no, it makes me, um, makes me want to work hard. Yeah. You know, it really makes me want to work hard. And, and I, I can tell you that. I've done 25 years, 156 countries. Um, I've met pretty much everyone there is to meet at that particular moment in time in relation to those trying to save the world and, and support. But I, and I've learned an awful lot, but I have never learned as much as the moment of true darkness. Yeah. No, I never learned more in that moment. So it's kind of like, wow, you know, that makes me go, you know, yeah, come on, okay. We can do this. We can do this. Jeremy, you know, um, we, we talk a lot about the mountain to climb and, and like you say, the learnings in those treacherous moments that we all sometimes find ourselves in. I, I guess I wonder, maybe talk to the converse for a minute and think about what then is happiness and what can lead us to happiness. Um. I think that uh, I think happiness. I mean, listen for me, happiness is not being you know not being frightened, uh, but happiness is 
listen, God, when you, I, I've seen so many things in the world that I wish I hadn't seen really, you know I mean? Like I've been filming darkness for a long time, separate from my own issues that I had to face. Uh, and, um, so, you know, I, I sort of know what a really awful situation can be, you know what I mean? I filmed it. Right. Um, and, and then, so that happiness for me is, is what I have. I mean, if I don't appreciate the fact that I have somewhere nice to live, you know, that I can eat food, that I have the freedom to drive to the South coast in a moment, that I can swim in the sea, that I can ring my mum and dad. Yeah. If I don't appreciate that, then, then I haven't learned anything. And so that is happiness for me. You know what I mean? And then I think that it helps me a lot, right? Because I, I, I confront situations and I find that the experiences I've had, I don't get frightened by things. I don't get frightened because I have been frightened. And the, the, the issues that life confronts me with, whether it's not having enough money, not being able to pay the bills, they're like, no, I am not going to let that get in the way of my thinking and my vision and my journey and my client. No way. That is just part of what I must resolve. It's not going to make any difference to me. It's not going to keep me up at night. It cannot. If that's just, that's just like, what am I doing? You've learned nothing, Jeremy, if I were to allow that to happen. And here I am traveling the world, filming in Somalia, Sudan, Afghanistan, wherever it was, and taking pictures of people who were desperately poor, some of whom I wonder whether they're here, they were young, you know, starving. And I left them saying I would go and work hard. I could leave and get on the plane. They couldn't. To think that I would then, you know, get on the plane and come home and then like just worry about something fairly superficial and it would just be just wrong, right? For me personally, I'm not suggesting anybody else needs to live that. I'm just telling you how it is for me. And I'm grateful to... The problems, I'm grateful to who I saw, those people who let me take their picture, you know, um, I, I, you know, I really want to just live my life. I want to go for it. I, you know, I feel like, you know, the next, next 10 years are going to be just so exciting in relation to the amount of narrative I could put out into the world that does inform, inspire and engage towards impact. You know, I want to create a Netflix for good. I mean, we're broadcasting every month. I want to create a destination that people come to for live entertainment, that they come to some back catalogue of, uh, of programming where the themes of justice, equality, diversity, inclusion, racism, peace, climate, you know, you name it, right? As opposed to action, thriller, comedy, drama. Yeah, I want the Netflix for good. Yeah, a streaming portal that the Jedi's come to in order to help save humanity because the car crash is coming and the safety belt's built, but we just ain't all put it in yet. And I want to create that in the world of media because, you know, you know, we, we, we need to go beyond the, the normal constraints that which we operate at this present moment, right? As if we think that politicians are going to actually resolve those issues for us. No, big business is one of the best chances we've got of saving, this, of saving humanity. That's clear. In my opinion, it has the workforce, it has the money, it has the trust. And it's doing incredible things already. And I think that we, the peoples, we need to really need to, you know, stand united. And we need to contribute in our own personal lives and make that something that's our legacy as opposed to our bank balance. 
that our impact and our values and our purpose, you know, are what maketh the person rather than some frigging yacht or money in the bank of superficial rubbish. You know what I mean? Quite interesting. And that's where I think the world will go, especially if AI takes over. What mechanism are we going to have at that point to show that we have manifested in our own lives something special? It will be on the basis of probably what you do, not who you are. Quite fascinating. Yeah, for sure. And um, so ultimately, Jerry, you, you are in the business of hope uh, and you've done some incredible things. So I'm just to give folks a flavor tell us a couple of things maybe that you're most proud of so far um i'm most proud of my little girl number one that's and then that's my driving force the moment i wake up i want to look after that little beautiful person <laughs> so i'm proud of that uh i'm proud uh, i listen i'm proud of the manifestation i uh, of the creation of the first ever day of ceasefire with a fixed calendar day peace day I'm very proud that that is the day where more people think about peace than any other day of the year. I'm very proud that that's the day where there's the greatest reduction of violence on any given day. I'm very proud that the ceasefire happened in Afghanistan and the Taliban agreed not to kill or kidnap anybody. I'm very proud of the Carnegie Water Peace Prize that was received in 2010. I'm very proud of that MBE. I'm very proud that 3 billion people will be aware next year of this day. And I'm very proud of the relationships uh, of thousands of men and women of which people can see on the 21st September. I mean, the group of people that is coming together for the 21st of September PSA this year is just astonishing and it's humbling. And I I feel really, like, really kind of blessed. I, I You know, I know that it, it's the sort of thing that you expect somebody to say, but I really do. I feel really in it. I don't feel above it. I feel humbled. I feel like, wow, you know, you're a lucky guy, Jeremy. You've had a beautiful journey and yeah, okay, it's been tough, but you... You have a responsibility and, you know, that's why I can mention all of those things, right? They're, 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 and all of them were made possible by many others, particularly from the corporate world. You know, people like Paul Pullman, who's been there with me forever. And people like Mark Mature, who was, you know, Coke and then Samsung and Salesforce, you know, just an incredible human being, you know, and, and many other business leaders, you know, like Carla Slim and, and lots of others, you know, Richard Branson, you know, will appear in the show, you know, again, you know, and has been there for me many times. So, uh, I, you know, I think, uh, yeah, th those are some of the things that, you know, just make me really feel blessed and excited and passionate about wanting to keep going. You know, Jeremy, it, um, it's remarkable. I, the, the, the analogy that uh, draws in my mind is, is to the movie Matrix and where people have the option to take blue pill or the red pill. And I don't know if you've, if you've come across that, that little that that uh, that moment um but it feels very much like you know you you are a visionary and it feels like you know you're going down the track that most other people don't consider in in their realm of their lives you know you you talked about it right the things that are trivial or things that are are, are are somewhat sort of things that are just barriers in your way are the most fundamental problems that people face right income family security job career next rung of the ladder and all the rest of it I mean, what would you say for someone who's on the fence of trying to forge a different way of life and a way of thinking, and yet perhaps is still caught in that mainstream way of of what society expects of them in in, in that in that traditional corporate setting? Yeah, I mean, I feel I really feel my heart goes out, man, to 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 men and women around the world about you know how caught up we have to we, we have to get. I mean, it's we live in a place where you just got to earn money, you've got to, and you know that's it. Um, and so anybody who's out there 
doing a job they don't love, I'd say, well done, keep going. You're looking after yourself. You're looking after your family. And you should be immensely proud of that, you know, because it's not easy, this world. It's not a place that's simple. And I don't think anybody should feel bad about the fact that they've created security for themselves and their family. I think they should be commended for it. I think it's incredible, right? Because it's not, it's not a fair place, this place we live. It's not. Um, okay. And then I, yeah. So, that, so I think that, and I think that the, those who are on the fence, look, there's a very interesting time of values and purpose. The world is changing, whether it used to be CSR, we're now moving to ESG and other sort of different words that we all use. Values and purpose are everything. They just are, you know, big business had knows perfectly well that if it doesn't put purpose and values front and center, that it is not going to be able to retain the workforce. It's not going to be able to retain the consumers. And therefore it knows perfectly well that it is a shift in consciousness. This is a fundamental thing in order to make more money. And if it's greed that got us in the problem in the first place, which it was, it may well be greed that gets us out. And there's the hope, not a shift in consciousness. The fact that big, that peace is profitable, that doing the right thing makes money. That is really hopeful for humanity. And and also, of course, there are, and let's let's be really fair about it, amazing men and women all over the world running very large corporations who really care and who've got passion and intelligence and experience about how they are going to move their workforce and the business that they're with in to a place which is really net zero, that is fair, that is inclusive, that is just, that is equal. And that's really exciting. There is a shift. Whether it's happening fast enough, who knows? Time will tell. But there's a shift and there's clever humans around. And I think that science and technology will play a massive role in our survival. And I'm hopeful that we can do this. But I do believe that every individual has a responsibility in that place within the framework of making that catch, which they have to do. You know, I think we can do both. Yeah. And that's interesting, especially with the advent of technology and social media and the way in which we're connected in a way that's never been seen or known before. I think that if you, for me, I, the crash, man, I, as much as I don't want a crash and as much as I'm frightened of a crash and I will be, I will be embarrassed with a crash. It will make me sad and I have to face my little girl because I've, I messed it up. I am willing to do that. I'm willing to crash. And that will be the end of that chapter. And a new chapter will come as a consequence of that. But I have to be ready to face it. I have to. Yeah. That's what you've got to face. You know what I mean? If you wanna if if we if we really wanna resolve these, you know, these really scary things that are happening, then we have to really confront the fear. We have to face the fear and and just go for it. We got it, man. I think. I have to anyway. Well, um, almost lost for words but I'm going to go back Richie had his um, Matrix movie moment M M mine is mine what's coming to mind is I, I don't know if you've seen The Fifth Element um, where Mila Jovovich comes down to earth and she sort of does a rapid learning curve of the, the world and she gets to W and it's war and she's she basically a super being that can ingest massive amount of information and she sees all the visuals of the wars that humans have created and then she gets quite down on humanity. You said at the beginning, um, you've understood why humans behave the way they do. So what, what's going on? Well, I, 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 
I'm not sure I'm equipped to really answer, but you know, we look, I think it's, I don't know the, the simplest answer that I could give for myself because is that that intellectually we think we're different to what we really are. You know, it's, we can, we can, we can, we can sit around and, and talk about, you know, things being differently sharing in the but I think we're fighting against the DNA the sort of the makeup of the human and how it's built to to kind of think quite short term it's not like the brain I mean if we look at the evolution of a long period of time and I haven't really read much. I only know what I know from my journey because I'm terribly dyslexic. I don't think I've read 10 books, right? So all I've really got to draw on is my own personal experience. But as I see and I look and I hear and I watch, I, I sort of, I see a lot of conversation that repeats, but nothing really changes. You know what I mean? And there is change. We talked about change with ambitions. We talked about values and purpose. And we talked about you know, that being driven by a sense of making being profitable, right? So do you see how that plays into this idea of, you know, we are what we are and we have the capabilities that we have. Intellectually, we think we can be different because that helps us make sense of where we are and it gives us some kind of degree of meaning. But the truth is that we're quite collect, control, you know what I mean? Because I'm not quite sure why we're not learning. It's been a very long time that we knew what we had to do. And my little dog running. Um, you know what I mean? It's and um and so that's what I think. What do I think is going on? I think we're geared a particular way. I think we believe that we can be different. I mean I think it's very hard. Extraordinarily hard, Jeremy, and, and, and what a what a wonderful way to articulate that dichotomy between speech and action actually and and learning you know you'd have you'd have thought we'd evolved faster from from that experience right um, yeah look at covid look at what happened right you and me richie and mark you were thinking my goodness me how interesting this is that we're working together as one you know you hear mark palmer you hear paul palmer and you hear mary robinson talking about this decade that we were in where it was fundamentally crucial to change because if we didn't what was going to happen in a short period after that would be catastrophic. And the absolute opposite of what we should have done, we've done. And I just can't believe it. I just can't believe it. And then that's why I say to you, I think we can talk it, but we it's almost like our being doesn't have the ability to really do it unless there is some kind of payoff in relation to doing it. Jeremy, look, ah, well, we're coming to the end of the segment, and I and we always end with a big, uh, you know, legacy type of question. But I, I think right now I've got a more burning one that I want to then ask, um, to kind of tail us off here, and that's the role of storytelling to change behavior because storytelling in itself is a form of speech, and yet, therefore. If we're saying that we are unable to create constant and sustained action, no matter how much we speak, 
what is then the role of storytelling and what is different about storytelling to all the other narratives that we can create to truly then drive action? Well, the role of storytelling uh, is to inform, inspire, and engage people towards action for me. Yeah. So what I want to do, I want to put as much constructive narrative out into the world with my time here that I hope would inform someone, inspire someone, and engage someone. I mean, we're talking about two things here, right? We're talking about fundamental change and, you know, in order to, for humanity's survival. And we've said that, oh, sorry, I've said that we 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 inter, we can intellectually talk about it all being different, but we struggle to actually make it different. Now that I believe to be true for me, and that's why I think storytelling is so incredibly important. That if we can, if young people or people can receive that, and make the, help them to understand that the actions that they take in their life, if we were collectively you know, doing small steps, then it may well be a major contribution to humanity's survival. And so, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what I think. And I think that also the status quo has shown us that really amazing things do happen because of storytelling, whether it's the slave trade, whether it's the vote, whether it's gender equality, whatever it was, there's always people on the peripheral, storytellers who are speaking out, which then filters down into the center and becomes the new status quo. And it's ever evolving. Every day, it's shifting. And it's shifting because people are telling stories. And there lies the hope. And I think what you do is immensely important because I could tell you right now, and I think it's amazing, that because you do what you do, there are people who hear your messages, all of those amazing podcasts that you've done, and somebody heard it and it changed their life forever. It was that Bugsy Malone moment that you talk about, Richie. And that's the power of the work, Mark, that you do with those guys behind the scene. And well done. You know what I mean? It's beautiful. Listen here. Yeah. Jeremy, honestly, I mean, this has been just so enlightening. Um, it's been an incredible, incredible time that I've got to spend and we've got to spend with you hearing hearing your truth. It's just been it's been eye opening. Um and you speak with such passion and humility and, and and interestingly positivity, which kind of is a juxtaposition for some of the things that we spoke about and some of those moments. I um it's time just where I get to maybe say a few things around reflections on, on some of the things that you've you talk to and talk to us about. And and I, I must start, you know, Bugsy Malone. Boom. Everyone needs to have a Bugsy Malone moment. So, you know, I, I guess that that whole, you know, luck comes from the harder you try and, and all the rest of it. But still, I think there is truth in that luck um, being picked out of one of those thousands. But remember that it's already happened. I love that, right? It's already there. and And that's quite incredible. You know, most people live their lives for those few pivotal moments at the top of the, the mountain. And yet actually what you've said to us today is that not only does that mean you'll live for very few moments and actually it's all about the climb, 
But probably what's more important, more impactful in someone's life is around the collapse is everything. I love that. The collapse is everything. And, you know, you need to really, really embrace those moments, those dark moments, because actually that's what truly, you know, truly leads to, I guess, enlightenment of some sort. Um, you've been to 156 countries, seen many things, seen some incredible things, and you're not afraid, you're not frightened. And to you, you know, contentment and happiness very much is in the small things in life now. And that's what came across to me. Your little girl, eating food, speaking to your mom and dad. These are all actually, these actually are privileges. These are luxuries that us and we take for granted. And, you know, I'm from India and I've seen a few of those or can relate to a few of those things that you've said about people there. And they think that they can never have. And I think that, you know, we need to work extraordinarily hard to be able to represent not just them, but a life that is hopeful and, and for good. And so that vision, that those those three words you said, Netflix for good, I think this it's it's powerful, right? As a vision, as a visioning statement of what we can and you can create with constructive narrative. I think it's wonderful. I I applaud you for Peace One Day movement. It is absolutely incredible what I say one man recognizing that there's a whole lot of people behind that one man that can achieve and it's just been incredible the greed got us here and greed can get us out wow you know maybe that is the silver bullet <laughs> so look I mean there's so many so many wonderful things that I've heard here today um, but but perhaps I'll, I'll, I'll finish on this last anecdote that you said that you're willing to crash. Not many people are willing to crash, right? We all want our safety boats, but actually to truly achieve something, to truly grab it, we've got to be willing to crash and then face that fear. And I think that's something that you bring to the table here, Jeremy, that ability to do that, the want to do that, the passion to go for it. And um, yeah, when you tell it through some, some compelling, amazing stories. So thank you. It's been just a wonderful, wonderful experience here today. Thank you. Uh, lovely listening to all of that. And thank you, Mark. Mark, uh, for those who are old, we're, I think we're all shedding a few tears here today. You know, but Mark, thank you, mate, for asking me. Uh, and thank you, Richie. It's been, it's been an amazing experience. And I really wish you the very best of luck with this podcast. And to those that are listening, uh, you know, visit peaceoneday.org and follow us on social media. There's lots of ways in which you can get involved and lots of content that I hope will inform inspire and engage you thank you thanks jeremy and great timing 21st of september in case you didn't catch that and we'll, we'll try and put a link in what we send out to to all of that as well but for me also thank you again jeremy yeah take care guys bye